Hello, everybody. So, I'm going to be totally honest with you. I had a whole nother interview scheduled for today. Uh, and we're going to run that either next week or it'll be a bonus episode. Uh, uh, but, yeah. It's about Spotify playlists of candidates. It's really funny. It's got my buddy Colin on it. And uh, it's good. But, Ross Perot died this morning. And somebody that uh, actually volunteered for the 1992 uh, campaign was Brian Brushwood, my co-host on Night Attack. So I uh, gave him a call, and we talked about Ross Perot and third parties and his legacy, some of the crazier stuff that uh, I think a lot of people are learning for the first time today, including uh, uh, not only some of his business ventures, but also uh, the most insane story that anyone has ever in politics has ever been a part of in terms of, well, you'll find out. In the meantime, go ahead and support us. Take politics seriously. Dot com. That's where uh, at the three dollar level, you guys can uh, can get bonus stuff. Bonus stuff, my friends. A podcast on Monday and a podcast on Friday. Only to your custom RSS feeds. By the way, we're like seven patrons away from the largest amount we've ever had. Now's the time to move. Take politics seriously. Dot com. Hello and welcome, everybody. My guest today, I think for the first time, shockingly, well, I mean, certainly you've heard his voice on this show before, Brian Brushwood. How you doing? Yeah, man. Oh, I I, I thought there was a certain thing I had to admit for the first time. No, it, no, oh, no. I, I will. I will. For the first time ever, I will publicly admit that in 1992, part of a requirement for my government class was that I had to volunteer for a campaign. Uh-huh. I volunteered for... The H. Ross Perot campaign. And that's what we will be talking about. The legacy of the man who has uh, uh, left us today, I believe at the age of 98. H. Ross Perot, a full life for one of... 89, I believe. Oh, 89. Oh, I transposed it. I got a little dyslexia. Uh, But yeah, no, uh, uh, I I was actually just thinking that this... In this format, because we've been doing these interviews, I think this is the first time I've talked to you, which considering how much we've talked both in person and... Uh, on the internet, uh, it's rare to find new venues in which we've talked. We can talk to each other. We've pretty much explored all of them on various different podcasts up till now. But this will be uh, this will be a good time. I wanted to talk to you because I don't know if there's anybody else that I, I think on multiple levels appreciates the unique splendor of H. Ross Perot, a a a, a political. Uh, I mean, you know, everybody called John McCain a maverick, and certainly in terms of his senatorial career, he had his moments where he went his own way. But let me ask you, what is the legacy of Ross Perot in your mind? It's really interesting because on the one hand, I think I, I can't deny that the biggest, most obvious legacy is the impossibility of any kind of actual victory or benefit to the American public of a third party uh, in in our duopoly right now, and 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 uh, I mean it. 
it, it's fairly uncontrovertible to say that uh, H. Ross Perot is what got us Bill Clinton. And absent H. Ross Perot, we would have had uh, a second term of Bush, right? Well, that's actually kind of disputed. And we will uh, let's go ahead and start with that, because I think that 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 would be something that uh, most people would say. So uh, obviously, 1992, one of the most fascinating elections of all time. Not only do you have at the time coming into an election, the most popular president in polling history, as George H.W. Bush was coming out of the uh, Iraq war, you have an upstart whose time it was not 1992 was not supposed to be. Bill Clinton's year. It was either Paul Songus or maybe uh, Moonbeam Graham from uh, from California. But no, Bill Clinton, political dynamo, uh, uh, sets the Democratic Party on its ear, gains the nomination. And then this <laughs> bizarre character kind of uh, bursts out onto the national consciousness in a way that you really only could do in 1992. I don't think that you can really burst out like that in, in today's day and age. Ross Perot would have already had a subreddit by the time that he you know, kind of made the national news in the way that he did back then. But according to certain data, they say that it is, uh, and 538 did a little mini audio documentary about it. Uh, they say that Bill Clinton would have won no matter what, that the fundamentals were in Bill Clinton's favor. Although certainly uh, some conservatives are like, well, no, look, even if you factor in the fact that uh, George H.W. Bush had to pay attention to Ross Perot, and and didn't just have to pay attention to Bill Clinton in a way that Bill Clinton didn't have to pay attention to Perot, then that will tip the uh, tip the, the the scales in that favor. Although for you, who has always been somebody who looks out to you know uh, uh, other uh, you know voices uh, beyond the kind of ideological mainstream of the two parties, don't you think that that's the reason why we have our modern like uh, a vote for this person? is not a vote for my favorite candidate and therefore you should never vote third party ever? Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, it's fairly incontrovertible because before uh, H. Ross Perot ran, and keep in mind for those who weren't even born, uh, uh, he captured 19% of the national vote and did not get even one electoral vote. So take yeah. that for what it's worth when it comes to our electoral college sy system. Second of all, the established way for uh, political discourse leading up to an election was that the League of Women Voters would run these debates. And they were a nonpartisan group who was there to basically create forums where all voices could be heard and people could make informed decision. That was the last year that the League of Women Voters controlled the debates because H. Ross Perot did so well, because he was perceived as a spoiler for, uh, that, that brought us one side versus the other. Uh, at that point, the Crips and the Bloods teamed up and they created their own debate committee. And surprise, surprise, Justin, have we seen any third party candidates involved in any debates for the past 28 years since? We have not. That is why the 1992 debate is the best. The best of all time. It is, without a question, the most fascinating uh, debate. And, and considering, from my perspective, I, I wrote the home version of our game. Uh, uh, I, I say without a doubt, just because uh, I think... It, it it certainly widened the, the the spectrum of what was being talked about. You saw more ideas up on stage, but you're absolutely right. Uh, that was fleeting. And and even the, the Reform Party itself, which he parlayed his success into, uh, kind of frittered away 
uh, uh, you know, due to lack of uh, attention and effort. It, it really would have been. There's a fascinating world that could have existed if Ross Perot ran like 20 years before when he did, because he was he yeah. was pretty old at the time. Uh, yes, uh, 100 percent. And and more importantly, there's a fascinating world where um, I, I, you know, I, I spent a, a, a good couple of hours today reading uh, obituaries and it's pretty clear from those who loved him that his there's a temptation nowadays for us to assume that anybody running for president is doing so as a cynical move to build their own brand, whatever that means. Right. And certainly sure. there, there are cases to be made that even our current sitting president had no intention of winning, but instead understood that he could build his brand and, and get a tremendous amount of free publicity investors value out of just the act of running by all accounts. Uh, Perot was not driven by any of that. It, 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 this is somebody who, even as he became a billionaire, there was one thing that was sacrosanct, which was that every single night dinner with the entire family. And, and, and it seems pretty clear that, that he was motivated by a deep sense of responsibility where it's like, well, I love this country so much that I feel like I have to run, even though I know it's going to cause a lot of trouble, even though you know, something like Dana Carvey making an iconic mockery of me, maybe a thing on there. Um, I, 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 I don't know. My, my respect just exploded the more I read about everything he did. Well, he had a little bit of that wild streak in him, though. And, and part of the reason why he ran, according to at least one book that I read, uh, was because there was a personal animus between uh, uh, Ross Perot and George Bush in, in a way that... One of those rich people feuds that can really only happen in Texas where there's just, you know, I'm sure several ranching metaphors are exchanged and and, and blood feuds are are formed. Uh, uh, H. Ross Perot. Well, and, and there, there was a uh, from what I read, there, there was a bit of healing at the point where at the 2000 election, you know, uh, Ross Perot's explicit endorsement of George W. Bush kind of uh, yeah. could be considered to cinch the election for him. Um, is, is there insights on the behind the scenes stories of, all I that? don't know about the healing. I do know that at the point that H, uh, Ross Perot is, uh, considering running in 92, something that puts him over the top is he has a unshakable feeling that he is being spied on by the CIA, which, uh, was, uh, of course, uh, the old employer of George H.W. Bush. Uh, By the way, uh, uh, if, if, if nowadays, uh, not the craziest thing to, to think of. <laughs> the sure. more we find out, the less crazy he sounds. But at the time, it did sound a bit kookaburra. Well, you know, it, 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 no matter whether or not you believe it, that seemed to be a reasoning as to why he would run. And he's like, OK, well, look, I can I can run. I'm going to take a different uh, perspective on it. And look, the, the stuff that he did is stuff that has been continued to use. I mean, uh, uh, you know, he took out those 30 minute ads, uh, because he's like, well, I have like infinite money. So I'm going to take out 30 minute ads on prime time. And it was literally just him talking into a camera with like charts. It's one of the wild, if you, if you are not up on this, you owe it to yourself. If you're listening to a podcast, that's getting this, uh, inside politics, you just go watch some of those. But you know, that's something that he did. And it's like, Oh my God, what a crazy eccentric billionaire thing to do. Obama did the same thing in 2008 because he had so much money. Yeah. And, and on top of that, it's not, um, you know, if, if we're going to translate different technologies and different uh, abilities to reach people, uh, H. Ross Perot kind of represented 
the non-cynical version of Trump, right? Like I, th- I think I think Trump dialed in on how to divide people and use the social media platforms to get everybody arguing about stuff uh, and had enough resources to make that happen. Whereas, whereas H. Ross Perot, I think, I think had the same impulse, but from a very different, um, uh, I don't know, a different place in his soul, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I'm sure that that's something that 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 can be debated on on who 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 was most pure. But since uh, uh, Ross Perot died today, then we're going to give him the tiebreaker here on this podcast ah. and uh, uh, say that. Yeah, look, he loved media, though. He understood media on a fundamental level. There's a reason why he was, like, uh, stapled to that Larry King guest seat. He he would go out there and get his message out to people in the most direct method possible. Now, on the other hand, he is probably the biggest, loudest example in recent political history of the we-need-to-run-government-like-a-business strategy. Uh, and, and that is something that certainly has... You know, is is meant to appeal to conservative voters. Uh, liberal voters certainly think it like, well, this is exactly the reason why everything screws up because businesses are there to exploit and the government, the government's there to help. Uh, but that was Ross Perot's pitch. Ross Perot's pitch was, you know, we can run America like a Walmart. It's just America's just a bigger Walmart, and if you get me in there, I'll get the book straight. Yeah. Uh, how much? This is a bit of a side jag here. How much if you were going to actually attribute in the postmortem, we're looking at the corpse of the campaign yeah. of, of Ross Perot, what percentage of this death was directly caused by the poor performance of his VP running mate? Uh, it would be second to him quitting the race and then getting back in. <laughs> <laughs> but certainly James Admiral Stockdale or Admiral James Stockdale, uh, uh, you know, he had the iconic uh, who am I? Why am I here line? That is not so my 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 hearing aid is turned off. I'm sorry. Could you say that again? <laughs> yeah, that one was was not quite not quite a, 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 a up to snuff. But then again, I mean, at that point. Uh, I think people were in for the crazy with 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 the, with the Perot Stockdale ticket, but I, I would think that the biggest thing that, I mean, honestly, it's like, all right, well, what would you consider a success for that campaign? Because I think it hit it. Getting damn near twenty percent of the popular vote is something that would be unheard of now. You know, yeah, like, like that's insane. That's crazy. Well, and, and and it's a bit heartbreaking that twenty percent of the entire U.S. population translates into zero meaningful electoral votes that that part really really has me uh bummed out uh, and 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 it sort of in a weird way cements my position as well screw it i'm just going to be a crazy person i'm always going to throw away my vote i'm not you know voting for the lesser of two evils is always going to be voting for evil i'm i'm done i'm out uh, if, if it's a broken system then so be it uh, you'll never get me to pretend like it's anything other than a broken system well but all right let, let me make let me make this argument so let's say that the united states the system is built so it can change but doesn't change too fast Right, right. America in general is a more agile system uh, uh, in that we give a lot of power to, you know, some some pre-selected party uh, representatives. Right. Uh, And so they can change radically what the other one did. But it's not like we're going to we we can't elect a dog overnight. Right. Uh, 
<laughs> this is probably not the best uh, uh, two or three years to make that claim, but go ahead. Sure, sure. But even then, it's like Trump had to hack one of the parties to, to get right. where he is, right? He had to radically shift where the party was before he got into the presidency. For Ross Perot, Ross Perot came from the outside. Him getting 19% of the vote did establish the Reform Party. The Reform Party was something that had to be contended with in 1996. And if Ross Perot runs again in 1996, maybe that's a different story. Well, he, he did run again in 1996 and, and got like 10% of the votes he got the first time. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> maybe I should, maybe I should which, do more research. the problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but I'll tell you what, though. Here, here's a fun game. Uh, recently, we saw Justin Amash leave the Republican Party and go independent, where he almost certainly will fail to uh, reclaim his seat because uh, oh, I forget which wh what state is he in? Is it Michigan? Uh, yeah, one Michigan of them. Is yeah. A, by the way, okay, uh, yeah. So, so uh, <laughs> apologies. Rosbro does run again, gets eight point four percent of the vote, which even now, I mean, that's like double what any kind of uh, third party candidate has gotten since. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So, so it's not as bad as as I had portrayed it. So, it's so yeah. less than half the vote that he got the first time, but still significant. But, but we're in a world, you know. Uh, Justin Mash uh, leaves the Republican Party. Um, basically, his next moves are to fail to reclaim his seat because he's in a state where you're able to vote uh, straight ticket Republican. So, as a result, the chances of him winning as an independent are very low. But kind of has a guaranteed spot to be the libertarian candidate if he wants it. And uh, I, 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 if even if the purpose of a third party is only to perpetually serve as a kingmaker or as a spoiler or as a opportunity to introduce a, 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 a non-duopoly idea into the public, I still feel like that's a public good. So uh, I don't know. Can I, I ask I, you a question, though? Sure. Why not just run outside like run as your own party like why would you even run as a uh, as part of the libertarian party unless you're just looking to sell a bunch of books to libertarians like is there anything about that party that is a net positive uh, so one of the complaints people say about voting third party is that you're throwing away the vote and as i'm fond of pointing out as a matter of of actual import you have 10, 20, 30, 40 orders of magnitude more power by voting for third party because there are uh, there are uh, funds matching institutional programs at the federal level that that you have to pass a certain threshold in order to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, as a percentage of the voting populace, your vote matters a hundred, a thousand times more and all that. So, in fact, uh, I, I usually flip that question on its head, which is why wouldn't you vote third party on any of those things? Oh, no, no, no. So, for, for for somebody like Justin Amash, uh, there's no way if he invents the the uh, the 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 AJAM party and and launches, they're not going to hit the threshold for matching funds. They're not going to get on the ballot and all that stuff. But there is the Libertarian Party has done a pretty good job of making sure they're in almost all of the states and and th there's a structure where he has the opportunity to plug into something that'll amplify and have the whole world hear it. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I, I tend to think that like now and, and let, let, let's take Amash out of it, because I think that he has his own pluses and minuses and, and him as a libertarian candidate would be very interesting because he would very much be courting the kind of never Trump conservative vote. 
because that has kind of been his brand nationally over the last uh, few months. And I would assume that he would want to pattern his campaign off of what has gotten him the most uh, uh, attention. But if you're let's say you are just random. Let's say you are the, 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 the modern Ross Perot. I don't know who the modern Ross Perot would be. I still think that the move would be to start your own party because the the idea of uh, you know glomming onto a party that's done nothing but kind of uh, lose and and is mostly identified with uh, uh, you know like oh no you don't want to vote for them because they'll they'll spoil your vote why not just create your own create your own movement uh mainly because just the barrier to entry I mean you have to. You have to begin from scratch. That means you have to have 50 ground roots uh, established communities that are willing to fight an extremely difficult fight in 50 different provinces. So so things you need, uh, an unlimited war chest, uh, uh, overwhelming support. Well, but, but, but that's 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 to win. Right. Well, or, or, or even to show up on the ballot. So so again, and here's the weird part is what you're describing is the reason that Trump ran. Trump yes. ran not to actually be president. He ran for the benefit to his brand of being somebody who had run for president, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm sure we'll get an email or two about that. But I, I, I think you know, whether or not it's, hey, I want to make sure that I keep my name in the headlines and I keep selling the political books that I'm writing, uh, uh, or he did that first and then he was like, Oh wow, this is easy. I'm kicking everybody's ass. I wonder how hard president would be. I should do that too if I get elected. Like, uh, uh, I think that certainly he understood where the heat was, <laughs> no matter what he wanted to do with it. Well, let me put it this way: for Justin Amash, uh, whether his goal is to make the maximum impact on the national dialogue, or his goal is to benefit his personal brand to the maximum ability, uh, or his goal is to actually have a chance of winning the presidency of those three, two of them. The obvious move is to run with the libertarians. Uh, it's only the, um, maximize your brand one that I can easily see Well, you're probably better off creating a new party that may or may not go anywhere. Well, yeah, I don't know. I guess the question is, is like, what would you find more likely the first libertarian party president or the first president from a uh, heretofore uncreated party. Well, and keep in mind, though, keep in mind that the libertarians or any third party. So let's say your goal, uh, it's its highly unlikely, you know, to become president, but there is power in being a kingmaker. And I see no way for Justin Amash to be a kingmaker by creating. Yeah, his and own- by the way, let me let me also just say, I, I don't think that there is much of a political future for Justin Amash. So, like, I I don't I like all of this. I, I would rather keep it as like the let let's imagine the bright shining star that does not exist because he is without fault, and Justin Amash has his own because he's a real human. Sure, sure, sure. Right. My my point being, like, in in the abstract, in the theoretical, right? Like, uh, b- because the story of Ross Perot is really the story of of this is somebody who did as good as you could possibly hope and yet was was essentially just a, a footnote of a kingmaker in an election from 20, 29 years ago. Yeah, although let's get into some Perot facts because Perot, fascinating person before he ran for president, uh, early investor in Next. He uh, was was the the money behind Steve Jobs's return to uh, once he got excised from Apple was an early uh, a founder of Pixar as well. 
So the the I mean, God, can you imagine the the Steve Jobs Ross Perot conversations <laughs> like those the among the flies in the wall situations? Those would be among the ones that I would really be interested in. I, I got to believe that there would be more agreement than disagreement in that regard. Uh, I, I can't imagine them doing too much arguing. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, I, I just lo- I would. I mean, two of two people that cared very little for uh, how other people wanted to define them and wanted to define themselves and made insane legacies. I, th- I think that might be the part that I admire the most about both of them. Like, my goodness, what must it be to have no F words to give? for what other people thought of you. Uh, I, I look forward to someday encountering what that feels like. Now, here's my favorite part, though. My favorite Ross Perot story. So during the Iranian Revolution, yes, uh, he one of the businesses that he owned, uh, uh, I believe it was Electronic Data Systems, was overtaken and the, everybody was taken hostage. So I, I think there were six employees that were that were held hostage in uh, Iran. Uh, in Iran, uh, Ross Perot uh, decides to extract his employees regardless of costs. He orders the firm's lawyers to find a way to meet the bail and then recruits a team of volunteers from his executive led by a retired U.S. Army officer to break them out by force if necessary as the team flies to Iran. This is a story. <laughs> Sends in a literal uh, 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 paramilitary SWAT team. Yes, uh, from his own corporation. <laughs> I, I I can't. Buy, I just want to believe this could happen in Diamond Club. I oh, would, I would and, and by the way, by the way, he demands that he goes. He demands that he's there when it happens. Then gets back, succeeds, gets back, and commissions an author, Ken Follett, to write the nonfiction version of it on the wings of eagles. Available now at bookstores everywhere. Hells yeah. He ended up getting his, uh, I, I want to say, the second or third person ever to get the the Winston Churchill Award for being awesome like Winston Churchill. <laughs> like, yeah. like this, dude, this dude had the bona fides. It's amazing to me that, that I'm only hearing about this now upon his demise. Yeah, 1986 five-hour miniseries based on the book starring Burt Lancaster. And uh, Richard Crenna played Ross Perot. It was uh, watched by an estimated 25 million Americans. Uh, I, I, man, I'll tell you what, if, 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 if you not, if you do nothing else, read those obituaries and, uh, my goodness, how quickly will your opinion change? And also, uh, it's nice. I don't know. It's pleasant now so many years after the fact, because I know many people who are upset and regarded Perot as just the guy that got us Clinton, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, those people, I think if they were to read today and you have the benefit of the historical record, he certainly acted like somebody who felt called to do good by his country. And that's why he ran and that it wasn't for personal benefits. And it's it's uh, I, I, I don't know, like it made me I mean, a real in my, in my mind, the reason why I always kind of tend to bat down the third party argument of like, oh, the third party spoiler. Number one, I think that there's questionable demographic math that you have to do to be like, okay, well, the person that was pushed to vote for something that they almost certainly know won't win, we're also just itching to vote for your candidate. Like, I I tend to think that that's a logical leap that people tend to make. But then beyond that, look, politics is a is a contact sport. Uh, uh, You have 
opposition thrown at you. Every mistake that you ever made is going to be highlighted beyond reality. You're going to have every single flaw that uh, that might exist in your life highlighted. Uh, everything's going to be mean. Your children are going to uh, get made fun of. You're financially going to be on a, a certain brink if you don't come from a tremendous amount of money. You have to defeat people before you even get to the position where you only have to defeat one person. So another challenger entering the arena is just another obstacle. The winner is the person who beats the obstacles. <laughs> like, so either you win or you don't. I, I, I really have no time for the, like, this person played a spoiler. If George H.W. Bush was a better campaigner, he would have been able to cut the legs out of Ross Perot. He was not. He lost. That's it. He also wasn't able to beat a a, a, a a political. I mean, certainly Bill Clinton was a tremendous campaigner, but he is somebody that he wasn't that George H.W. Bush wasn't able to beat. Like, that's it. That's how the cookie crumbles. That's what the game is. Yep. And uh, that continues nowadays. <laughs> I have to. Uh, there are people who are still very sore about uh, uh, Trump defeating Clinton. Uh, and I have to remind people. Just, you know, please remember that Hillary Clinton was so bad, she was able to lose to Trump. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, no, it's 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 a rough game, man. I mean, yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, people who listen to this show know that Hillary Clinton's the star maker. You know, she made she made Barack Obama. She made Donald Trump. She <laughs> she made them stars, people that, that nobody thought was ready to be president. Well, go see my friend Hillary. <laughs> Because she'll make you look presidential in a heartbeat. Uh, you know what's funny is we didn't even talk about um, how delightfully uh, parodiable paritable, uh, he, he was. You know, it, it, it's so funny because I went back and watched a bunch of sketches this morning. And Carvey specifically, Carvey's Perot is so amazing because he all the sketches wind up going from this place of like absurdity but then Perot kind of is always crazy like a fox by the end of it like he he's it, able to get over on people where yeah. he manages to very effectively communicate his bullet points and and like I would imagine Perot and and in fact there have been public events where he actually I believe hired Carvey to come on out there or whatever yeah. but essentially Perot was like yeah, that's pretty much my point. Thanks for phrasing it so well <laughs> and making it funny. Yeah. You know, there was a, one sketch I saw, which was not on SNL, but on the Dana Carvey show. And it was around the 1996, him flirting for running, flirting with running. But it's uh, him and Phil Hartman. Go look it up. It's hilarious. But it begins with, I guess, like the story at the time was uh, Ross Perot denying that he was going to run for president. And so it starts off on this very like, ah. Look at this, Phil. Uh, 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 Larry King, Phil Hartman's Larry King is gonna pin him down, but nope, he just keeps being evasive, and you think that that's the joke. But like some of the best uh, uh, comedy, it always takes a turn, and so it turns to the point where Ross Perot just keeps denying reality and denying that he's even there doing an interview with Larry King, and so Larry ah. King takes a call, and it's Ross Perot saying, "Look, of course I'm not here. I'm on. I'm in the house. I'm calling you on the phone." Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's it's so good. But that was just one of those things. He was such a fascinating character. Uh, and I, I really hope that there is a legacy for him beyond the the spoiler, because as far as political characters go, I, 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 
I, I can't think of another one. The the greatest legacy that Ross Perot, or the, the measure of his legacy in my mind, is that periodically I'll find myself in Dallas, and periodically I'll find myself talking to friends about uh, cool stuff to do, and periodically they'll mention, oh, you should go to the Perot Museum. And every single time I say, really? There's a whole museum about Ross Perot? <laughs> and they'll say, no, it's like art. And I'm, I, I disappointedly exhale, oh. So would it be... If we're going to make contenders in our lifetime of the greatest political mavericks, I think you can make a pretty strong case for Trump uh, with one of the most yeah. surprising success stories of all time. Um, but but outside of that, from from uh, uh, the, the counterpoint would be that you could make a case that Trump hijacked an existing structure and and took it out. Which, from although although that that might be harder. Like there are there are a lot of moneyed interest in place that were there to kind of stop that and and nobody was able to do it. Uh, well, and so, but like as far as like truly taking on the system from the outside, I don't know that in my lifetime you could do much better than H. Ross Perot. I mean, and there's no reason to believe that uh, uh, Donald Trump was not certainly inspired by it. Remember that. One of Donald Trump's flirtations for president was in the year 2000 as the candidate of the Reform Party. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's right. I, I didn't even think about the fact that uh, H. Ross Pro literally paved the, the way for the current president. Yeah. Because, because in a world where Trump had not previously run as a reform candidate, I don't know that he has as much traction as he got. In the uh, in the last few le years leading up to the Republican election, yeah, no, but he yeah he switched parties. You know that was that was where where he saw the opportunity at the moment. So, look, yeah, I I, I think absolutely in terms of uh, political mavericks of certainly of the modern age, I I actually don't know if you know it, it's it's Trump and Perot, and and you could really debate. I mean, because again, uh, Perot, like, look, there have been upstarts within. Uh, uh, within parties before that happens fairly regularly. Very rarely does it happen where they have no experience like Trump, but uh, uh, upstarts happen. No one had made it on that stage before and no one has sense on, I mean, he on, broke on, on a the debate game. stage. Yeah. By, by, uh, he, he presented such a threat to the duopoly that, that both sides conspired and cut out, the only impartial entity are, that wait, running those debates. Yeah, what are the what are the qualifications now? Like, what do you have to do to get on the get on the it, debate it, stage? Be somebody that both teams agree should be on stage at this point. It's ridiculous. It's insane. So it, that, it would it would have to be public pressure. Public pressure would have to force a third party candidate on the stage. Correct. Correct. And um, essentially, what we're saying, and and I think that was the case beforehand, which is why. Yeah, uh, Perot was invited to be the third party on the debate stage when it was run by the League of Women Voters. But now we're in a phase where it's like it better be deafening. It has to be deafening public support for them to, to possibly consider letting them on stage. Do you think that you see a third lectern on stage in your lifetime? No, I, I think that uh, I think that we've seen those handcuffs slapped down and I'm bummed because I feel like we're we're a poorer country uh, in intellectual diversity for it and political diversity. Uh, and in my lifetime, I am glad that I was alive, that I got to see the last of the real cowboys get up there on stage and, and play against the duopoly. Well, that's the way we're going to end it. Uh, thank you so much. 
Brian, for taking time out of your day and uh, talking Perot, uh, dead at 89, gone but not forgotten. Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>